Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. Hi, everybody. This is Terilyn here. We have a special guest today, Claire Tanzi, and she is an expert in all things cooking everything cooking for our family. And oh my goodness, I am so excited to be here talking with her. I have Caitlin here with me and we're so excited, Claire, to have you with us, to share your wisdom in something that we really, I mean, food is something that none of us can escape, right? Like we all need food to survive. Mm -hmm. So any tips we can have surrounding food with ourselves and specifically as mothers, as we share something so important with our families, I'm really excited for your tips today. So thank you for being with us. Oh, so happy to be here. Well, Claire, can you introduce ourselves, introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us how you came to be where you are with all of your expertise surrounding cooking and dinner? Oh, well, well sure. Hi, my name's Claire. Nice to meet you. Um, I live in Canada and uh, that's actually where I'm from and where I grew up. Um, and I, I'm a, a mom of an eight-year-old, almost nine-year-old son, and uh, the three, my husband, my son, and I live here in Toronto. Um, I grew up in a family that really loved to eat. We sort of, every celebration um, was really about the meal, and of course, then every meal was like turned into a celebration. We're that type of family that when we're sitting at the dinner table, we're talking about other meals we've enjoyed or maybe a meal we would enjoy sometime down the road. Um, so food's really always been, a food and cooking has always really been an important part of my life, uh, part of my DNA. And so it took me a long time to figure out that it, it could also be my career because <laughs> it was just so much a part of my normal life. But um, eventually after I got two degrees in English literature. Hold on, I'm sorry to interrupt you here, but did you just say two degrees in English literature? Yes, what? a master's undergrad and a master's degree in English literature. Claire, we're kindred spirits. I also have the exact same thing, two oh. degrees in English literature. So I'm just feeling connected to you right now. So sorry. There, you okay. see, you know, and I really actually think it was good prep for life in general. Um, oh yeah, I agree. But as I was doing all those degrees, I put myself through school by working in restaurants. Um, and I really, you know, I really came to understand that food was so much, so could be so much more. And I ended up um, working in the test kitchen of a big uh, national magazine called Chatelaine, like a women's magazine, you know, the kind of thing that's got like, you know, a bit of beauty, bit of fashion, bit of advice and a lot of food. Mm. So I ran the test kitchen, which meant that I oversaw a team of recipe developers and we were creating and testing almost a thousand recipes a year wow uh, and that was the main that was my main work for um for almost 10 years um and then I started my own business five years ago and started writing cookbooks so essentially doing the same thing developing recipes testing recipes um but sort of on my own terms now and I just released my second cookbook which is called dinner uncomplicated number two in my uncomplicated series Mm. which we have me and yes. Caitlin both love it yes what cool experience you have I love hearing people's lives how the different 
paths they go on that lead them to where they are. This is really cool, Claire. Yeah, that is so cool. And I, I feel like cooking is something that I, just as I got married, I really started to like actually get into cooking. So I love like when I get a good cookbook that is just makes it like simple, but it's good food. It just like brings so much peace to me. So I love this cookbook for that reason. Like the dinner uncomplicated is so just like, it says it all. So I'm really excited. That's so cool that you, I like can't imagine just like coming up with recipes and testing them. I think that's so cool that that's part of your experience. Like I didn't even know that was a thing. And I think that's amazing. It's a, it's a really fun job. I mean, some days it's weird because you're, you know, we're always working on the Christmas stuff in July because we would always be like six months ahead. So, you know, we have these huge turkey dinners on the hottest day of the year and then, you know, barbecuing and making burgers in January. So a little bit topsy-turvy, um, but you, you learn a lot about food that way. Oh, that's so fun. That's really cool. Okay. Well, can you help us be inspired for me food? And I love, I actually do love cooking and I love eating, but I think for a lot of us, sometimes we need to be a little inspired, right? So can you kind of inspire us by telling us just a little overview of benefits to kids and parents of having a home-cooked meal? What are things that we, why is it worth going to the effort to really cultivate a home where we're eating together? Oh yeah, uh, so it's uh, something I believe in so strongly. And uh, certainly before the lockdown, I felt like, it was things were really things had gotten out of control there were so many families that i knew that um either the children ate in front of the tv and the adults ate later or they were eating in the car on the way to you know some um activity uh, gymnastics piano lessons whatever it was um and i just saw so many people not putting the um the, the effort into having that home-cooked family dinner. And as I mentioned, that that's how I grew up. Like the, we were expected at our family table when I was growing up, there were no ifs, ands, or buts. Of course, there weren't a lot of other options at that time in the late seventies and early eighties. My mom, you know, she, she couldn't just like order in from, from Uber Eats or something like that. Um, but the thing is that the science, um, and there are tons and tons of um, evidence-based studies that prove that kids who have that regular family meal actually do better emotionally, socially, academically. And in fact, and this is absolutely mind-boggling, that regular family dinner is the single strongest predictor of kids having better grades and fewer behavioral problems. And that is corrected for age, income, family structure, the works. Wow. In, honestly, the, the, the one study that, that like is imprinted on me is that as the regularity of family dinners goes up for kids, the rates of depression, suicide attempt, illegal drug use, and early sexual activity all go down. I mean, that, I would, that kind of, knocks it out of the park for me. I would rather put the effort into a regular family dinner than all the gymnastics lessons from here to next week. It is truly one of the simplest things you can do to raise great kids and to bring so much more joy into your life. Oh, I love that. That's phenomenal. <laughs> That's no pressure though, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is the thing, like, it's all great to say that, but then you look at your life and you say, okay, thanks, Claire. Uh, way to add pressure. How do I actually do that though? Mm -hmm. And of course the way to get that regular family meal as a, a daily you know, anchor of your day is the best part of your day is to make it less stressful and more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For everybody, specifically you're talking about for the person preparing the meal, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, 
Yeah, you know, because I'm the main cook in our house, my husband's a great cook, but, um, you know, on the regular basis, I am the one who puts dinner on the table and thinks about it. Um, and if, if it's not rewarding to me, or if I feel this is the worst, if you start to feel resentful about it, mm-hmm. you know, what's the, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what would you say you find? Cause I actually love listening to you talk about this. I feel like instead of just a task of making food for our family, it sounds kind of like you're describing it as a, a calling might be a strong word, but as you're talking, I hear you, it sounds like a calling to you, this kind of sharing this message of how important it is for families to eat together. And it really adds a whole nother level of significance to it, which I think is really beautiful. But can you, can you kind of walk us through what to you prevents in your experience? You've already said when it's too complicated that that prevents families from mm-hmm. eating together or, or either parent making a good meal. Uh, but what are other things you find prevents families from doing that? And really, and I think it's important to touch on, you mentioned the guilt as we're talking about this, I think a lot of people, it's easy to feel guilt that we're just not doing enough, right? We're not doing it well enough. So can you kind of touch on those two things? How can we deal with that guilt? And second of all, then what are the things that are preventing us from making this happen? Okay. I'm actually going to flip the question. I'm going to tell you, first of all, what in my experience and my research I have found are, there are five pretty common roadblocks uh, between the average person and making dinner. So I, I hope that at least one of these will ring true for you. And they certainly all five of them ring true for me. The first is not having enough time. Mm-hmm. The second is not having an idea for what to make. Mm-hmm. The third is not having the groceries in the house. So mm-hmm. sure, you've got the time, you've got the idea, but you don't have the groceries in the house. Mm-hmm. The fourth is not having the right equipment or the right skills or kind of the kind of nuts and bolts. Like, you know, maybe your recipe requires a spiralizer and you don't have one. And the fifth one, which is actually the toughest one, and it's the one that can lead to resentment and giving up the most quickly, is uh, what I call being out of sync or not having consensus. And that means that um, you can't serve everybody with one meal. So sometimes this looks like picky eaters. Sometimes this looks like a spouse who's on some crazy diet. Sometimes it's a teenager who's decided to become vegan. Um, But when you can't serve one meal to everybody and have everybody happy, that can be the biggest roadblock of all. Mm. so those are the five commas hope one of those is probably ringing true for somebody out there right like I think most of those ring true for probably a lot of people (laughs) specifically that last one we have a lot of listeners who are dealing with that last one so I'm excited to hear you walk us through those how can we overcome these roadblocks yes well uh, as I research this, um, and you probably can tell on the number of times I've said science and research, I really like I really like to get into the like the nitty gritty of why we do these things and how we can actually change. And I kept coming back to the concept of meal planning, mm-hmm. uh, which was a bad news for me because I hate meal planning. <laughs> We just want to stare my hair out. But I kept coming back to this, that meal planning actually with one fell swoop kind of knocks out the first four roadblocks. So if, if you've got a great meal plan that works for you, that means you have enough time. It means you have ideas. It means you've got the groceries in the house and usually you're um, using the equipment and the skills that you have. Um, the fifth, so the, pick, the, the bit about picky eaters are not having consensus actually you can make that better with uh, with meal planning. But just to finish off that bit about meal planning that 
we think of meal planning as being this kind of, uh, okay, here's my two week plan. I'm going to write out every single recipe inside for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and, you know, stick, go and do one big shop and then stick to the plan. And that is amazing. That's what I call the classic system. Um, that is an amazing system. If it works for you, fantastic. I'm very envious, but for mm-hmm. a lot of people, that system doesn't work for a bunch of different reasons. So there are actually four other frameworks that you can use um, to use meal planning, to use some kind of forethought to reduce that daily stress of the old, oh gosh, what's for dinner tonight um, question. So a little bit of planning, a little bit of forethought goes so far. And then when it comes to dealing with um, the picky eaters or the last lack of, lack of consensus, um, I sort of have a whole other strategy for that. So that strategy begins with actually just calling a family meeting um, or whatever you call it, uh, you know, at a time when everybody's happy, you know, not at one of the, not when, when everybody's really crazy hangry and needs to eat right away, but at a time when everybody's hangry, you need to have all of your uh, quote unquote stakeholders there at the table. Um, and I always say, you just open by saying, listen, I think dinner's really important. Um, and I would really like us to have a family dinner every day as much as possible, most nights of the week. Um, and I think it's really important and explain why it's important. And then you need to get everybody kind of on board. And the way we do that is, in my family is, first of all, we write up, we wrote up this years ago, we did this and we still stick by them. We, we made a list of rules at our table. Um, you know, like we don't have screens at the table and you're not allowed to yuck someone else's yum and a whole list of them. Um, but you get everybody involved in making those rules and by the way children love it when adults break the rules and they have to keep you in line so that's really fun Mm -hmm. and then we also do a challenge and and I teach a whole course about this but um, it's something you can also do in your own family which is just write up a list of what your family's favorite meals are Mm -hmm. and get the put that list I mine is taped to the inside of my pantry door and when you have a list of your family favorites and you know that everybody in your family has contributed to that list then you can always have an idea for something to make and at least it's somebody's favorite Mm. and then when the rest of your family sees that you have made a favorite meal for somebody there often it gets them over the hump of you know whinging and whining and complaining at the table now the Concept of picky eaters for like for children, that's sort of separate. I feel like that that has a different, um, I have a big different long philosophy I can tell you about that. But with that family dinner table, that peaceful family dinner table, if you can get everybody on board and they understand why it's important to you and they also feel like they've contributed to the rules and the favorites and all of that stuff, um, you might often find that that goes 80% of the way to making that regular family deal the, uh, meal the best part of your day. I love that. So what, so you, you talk a little bit about, um, a peaceful dinner table, like in your stuff. And it sounds like these are like some of the things that you've just mentioned definitely contribute to that. Um, can you add anything more to that? Like, how can we, how can we achieve, how do we get a peaceful dinner table? Well, one of the most important ways to do that is to not let the dinner table become a place where people fight. Mm. Um, and I don't mean just, you know, kids punching each other because, hey, uh, siblings are going to do that. Like, <laughs> that's what siblings are for. But more, I, I think of it more as recognize that your kids are their own people. And one of the most important things about growing up is becoming independent and making your own decisions. And so one of the philosophies that I teach when it comes to addressing the the problem of picky eaters, which, first of all, I want to say the most important thing you need to know about picky eaters is they are normal. That is completely normal family or child behavior. 
But one of the most important things is to create an environment at the table where there's a positive food um, feeling. So, you know, you're not using judgmental language to talk about food. Uh, you know, nothing is bad for you or good for you. Uh, certainly, oh my goodness, this mm-hmm. word makes me crazy. When people refer to some kind of food as toxic, oh no, it's just food. Take mm-hmm. that judgment away from it. There's mm-hmm. no, you have to eat this. There's no pressure. You have to take a bite. Everything is served family style. The kids get to decide what they put on their plates. You always make sure there's something in that family style buffet that each child will eat, whether it's cheese and crackers or breakfast sausages, whatever it is. And then you take the pressure away. And once the fight is gone, so the, I mean, we've all been there. You have to have a bite, take one bite. And then mm-hmm. the child says, well, how many peas is one bite? And you said, well, you know, all, once you eliminate that, you can actually have a conversation with each other. It doesn't have to be deep and meaningful, but it can be like, oh, I think we're going to rake the leaves this weekend. Or, hey, did so-and-so make it to the bus this morning? And that's when, when you take that, that anger, that power, that manipulation, when you take that away from the table, you have a peaceful dinner table. And when the peaceful dinner table is a happy place, it almost doesn't matter what's on your plates. Mm, it's so true. <laughs> a- Men, can I just say that I think when we take in general with children, but especially around food, when we can take the power struggle away, freedom is what comes next, right? For everybody. It it liberates all of us. It liberates us as parents. It liberates kids. It allows them to even honor their own taste and their own hunger in a way that they can never do if we're simply forcing something down their throat. And and, and all the studies show that when we do put that pressure on them, um, you know, it's, it's only a few steps away from some kind of disordered eating, right? Like if a child is always forced to finish their plate, then that can often lead to overeating, you know, a decade down the road. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of, you can, you can, if you play it out in your head, you can see how things could turn bad. Mm-hmm. We worry about getting the right nutrition into our children. Mm-hmm. We don't need to worry. Mm. Can you, I, I agree with you, but I can hear <laughs> in my mind. Can you expand on that a little bit? Mm-hmm. So my own child, who he's eight now, but, uh, you know, around the, around the typical time when kids realize that they can control what goes into their bodies, around two and a half or three, he was a fantastic eater until then. Um, he became extremely selective in terms of what he would eat. So yeah, Claire got right back into her research. And uh, I did a really deep dive into nutrition and making sure my child get, got out everything that he needed. So it turns out that my, um, well, my sister uh, works in, in developing countries and she actually works in micronutrient um, uh, satisfaction. So making sure that children get all the micronutrients that they need in order to develop properly, the super scientific stuff. But through that, I understood that even something as basic as flour here in North America, like white flour, the stuff that we're always told is so bad for you. Well, you know what? It's fortified here. It is illegal to have a flour-based product that is not made with fortified flour. So we are getting all kinds of nutrition, even just from that plain flour. Mm-hmm. And you know what's mu- way more important than than worrying about, oh, white, you know, white flour and oh, sugars and carbs and fats and micronutrients. It's actually about teaching your child that food can be a joyful thing and that they can trust their own bodies in terms of what they need and what they want. Mm-hmm. My kid doesn't eat broccoli. My kid basically eats three vegetables and they all have to be raw. He's eight years old, but I have 100% trust in him that if he is not pressured 
and he sees his parents enjoying all kinds of different things mm-hmm. that he will get there. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. That it begins with modeling. And I think that word trust Claire is oh. so crucial. I yeah. mean, I mean, you can apply that to a lot of areas of parenting, but specifically with food that I think if we trust, I think children are born intuitive eaters. Exactly. And yeah. Um, if we allow that trust and offer, I think, because I mean, you could say, okay, just eat chicken nuggets every day of your life and never present them with anything else. And that's not healthy either. So I love it that you're saying that we're still modeling a variety and we're still offering a variety of foods to them. And hopefully the idea is, and I actually think that, I think you're right. There's plenty of research out there to show this, that as we model and expose them to things that they are able to one day also learn to love those vegetables that we love but so it's, I, it's yeah, not from a place of control and force. And I've actually, <laughs> I have a very small test group, but I have beautiful results to report, which is that my, my older brother had kids a lot earlier than I did. So he has two boys who are now 24 and 21. And the 21 year old ate hot dog buns with butter morning, noon, and night. I'm going to say for at least six years, if not more. <laughs> and this was a kid who was the most athletic kid of it. Like he could, I mean, I'm in Canada, so skating is a big thing. He could skate backwards when he was two years old. He could snowboard when he was four. And he was just constantly on the go. And we would look at him and think, how is he doing this on hot dog buns and butter? Like, he really would eat nothing else. Oh, except candy, of course, at Halloween. And this child, who is now 21 years old, um, he's in the military. He's extremely strong. He's uh, beautiful, grown up. And you know what? He's a heck of a cook. He eats everything. He loves trying new things. He, you know, he's just healthy as an ox. And that is a kid who (laughs) survived on hot dog buns and butter. But he lived in a house where food was a joy. And there were lots of different options. But there were always hot dog buns and butter, too. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That, like, brings a lot of hope. Not... I, my, I just have like a baby right now, so I'm not really to the stage, but I'm thinking of a lot of people that I know and friends. And I think that that probably brings a lot of hope to people of like, you know what, it will work out. My, I have, a, we have a couple of listener questions that go along with this of, of the, so say, you know, you do have maybe some selective eaters. Where's kind of the line for you? What do you suggest for people? You know, you've, you make this meal, you provide it. Say you have some eaters that just don't really maybe they eat like one bite, they hardly eat anything. Do you have a line where it's like, you'll, you'll offer them something else if they ask for it at dinner? Or do you kind of like, I don't know. Do you Cause that them? sounds exhausting to make. I mean, cause for me and my kids, like I'm not going to make two different meals. Right. Oh yeah. No, you never want to do that. Um, and it's so uh, one thing is, like I said, we always have everything served family style. And I, sometimes I, I do something like I'll do a deconstructed dinner, uh, which means that, you know, if it's a stir fry, I'll have the vegetables, the sauce and the chicken in separate bowls and everybody gets to assemble their own. And rice is something that my son will eat. <laughs> any day of the week. So I always know he'll eat rice. There's always rice like that on the table. Mm. Um, and so when I always allow him to serve himself. And even if kids are three years old, it's actually a great way for them to start working on their motor control, like their the actual skills. You know what? Hey, it's messy. Say yes to the mess. It's going to be all right. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Mm. It really is teaching them such important skills. And I, for us, we generally, we sit at the table for 15 full minutes. You know, we have nice, whatever conversation chat. If my kid then looks at me and says, I'm still hungry. 
he can go and get himself a bowl of cereal or we can, or put a piece of toast in. And, you know, for us, the cereals that we have on hand are typically not very sugary cereals. Uh, they're, you know, usually pretty high fiber. Those are the kind of cereals that he likes. And we, the, the bread we have is almost always whole wheat. Um, so he can have a piece of bread, lots of butter, load up, load him up on butter. <laughs> it worked well for my nephew. So <laughs> load him up on butter, but that's it. Like I give it a nice chunk of time, like a good 15 minutes. He sits there, honestly, more often than not, he starts eating what he's got in front of them but then yeah if he's still hungry I always say um, offer something that is filling not thrilling so cereal toast crackers you know not ice cream um, not a chicken nuggets or a hot dog or something like that thrilling is not where you want to be you want to go to filling not thrilling okay okay interesting I have never even considered doing that but I, well, because we still want our, like, listen, let's, let's lay it on the line here. We still want our kids to fall asleep. Right. So <laughs> the last thing you want to have is like a kid who's lying in bed going, I'm so hungry, mommy. Oh my gosh. So yeah. Filling, not thrilling. Yes. Okay. I never thought of that. And I guess I've never, um, I think, I think something I'd like that you really said there was that if there's something at the table, their kids are going to eat. That's yeah. probably not going to happen very often that they're still hungry after dinner, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's nice. Um, and no um, limits, right? Yeah. Have three bowls of rice. That's fine. Yeah. Have really half a baguette, with, you know, with, with butter. Great. No problem. Can you tell us a little bit about, I, I love hearing um, kids and I can't, and I, I'm just asking because you might know the answer to this, but it's been a while since I've done the research on how many times it takes kids to be exposed to a certain taste before they like it. Cause I, it's actually, every time I hear any information about that, it inspires me. And I actually share it with my kids. I'll say, Oh, you just haven't, you just haven't tried broccoli enough. I'm not going to force you to try it, but it yeah. just, if you don't like it yet, it just means you haven't tried it enough times. Cause sometimes it takes what, I don't even know. I think 21 times is the average. And then up to, yeah, it's 22 to 30 often. times, 22 to 30 times of simply being exposed to a food before they're even ready to consider trying it. And guys, this is totally normal behavior because, you know, when you think about it, if, if, you know, it was a trillion years ago and the, because of, you know, evolution, the kids were just learning to walk on their own, they actually have to become selective so that they don't accidentally poison themselves by eating strange berries. Mm -hmm. So they need to feel like that food, that broccoli is just an old friend. They've seen them a hundred times. The smell's not weird. The look's not weird. Mommy and daddy seem to really love it. Once they get past about between 22 and 30 times of just seeing it, they might consider trying it. It still doesn't mean that they're going to like it. <laughs> yes. And then I think it takes many times of trying it, having your taste buds try something before you learn to love it. Yeah. And children's taste buds are, are conditioned to like sweet things, you know, mm -hmm. um, certainly not bitter things. And so anything in that cabbage family, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, that, those can take years and years to actually get to learn to love. I frankly, you know what? I only started liking Brussels sprouts last year. I'm 45. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just learned to like avocados maybe three you years see? ago and I'm 35. <laughs> so, and it took me a whole lifetime of exposure to them and actually was more of a decision, but now I love them. So, um, okay. That's really, really helpful. I think that um, I like the idea of approaching our relationship is it like a relationship to broccoli. It's a, it's an old friend. You've seen it for a while and then you might try it and not like it at first, but eventually you're going to learn to love it. And it might take a long time, but that's okay. And for me, my kids really latch onto that idea of, Oh, it's just not yet. Like I, you just use the word yet sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think for them, it really makes them, especially when they see us as parents or their older siblings really loving something. 
they really start buying into it a lot sooner, which I think is really fun. Okay. Okay. These are very helpful tips. Can you, I personally really want to circle back here to, we have some really great tips here for picky eaters, which we had a lot of listener questions about um, having a favorite meal list, the idea of having a peaceful dinner table by not making it a power struggle. I love all of those tips so much. I would love to circle back a little bit to your meal planning because when you said, I mean, I laughed out loud because again, I'm feeling just like we're kindred spirits here. I love cooking, but meal planning is so hard for me. It feels limiting somehow. I feel like what if my taste buds change? I don't know. It's like, I have a problem. So you said that you had the classic meal planning. I think, I can't remember if that's the word you used, but you know, that like really you have, you have a whole list, you go to the big grocery shop and then you just stick to your uh, meal planning. Can you walk us through a little, maybe expound on the other options for meal planning, maybe to give me some hope that it's in the realm of possibility for me? Yes. Uh, and, and know that I'm with you because I, I'm the kind of person who would write a meal plan and then three days later, rip it up because I didn't <laughs> like following rules. You can't tell me what to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, just trying to help here, Claire. Um, okay, so four other frameworks um, that I came up with. Uh, the classic is the first one. Um, the camper is the second one, which people really love the camper system. And it's based on the model of summer camp, where every day has a theme or um, a protein. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you think of Taco Tuesdays or Pizza Fridays. Well, you actually assign the theme to every day of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have uh, One Pot Wonder Wednesdays. We have Sheet Pan Supper Thursdays. You could have eating uh, out of the out of the pantry on Saturdays, roast dinner Sundays. I have one of my students, uh, her Sunday theme is, is got to have gravy. So, you know, it's gravy Sundays. Fantastic. And what that does, so you give yourself a roughly either a one week or a two week rotation of, of themes or proteins or ideas. And then the theme stays the same, but the recipe itself can change. So if it's a sheet pan supper Thursdays, you know, one week you've got a, um, I've got this really delicious um, vegetable and chickpea uh, sheet pan supper in my new book. And so it's, you know, vegetarian, it can even be vegan if you want to. And then the next time that comes around, maybe you're going to do the, uh, hmm, the sheet pan buttery brown sugar salmon, or, you know, a chicken uh, fajitas on a sheet pan or something like that. What that does, though, is it gives you an idea or at least the shape of an idea. And remember way back, we were talking about the roadblocks of dinner. It's incredible that one of the biggest roadblocks we have is not knowing what to make. I mean, we have a million recipes at our fingertips. We still can't decide what to make. Mm -hmm. So having that camper system in place can be all that it takes to, first of all, give you the structure that you want. And second of all, give you the creativity that you want as well. And I got to say that camper system, children love this because they love predictability, right? They love knowing that it's Taco Tuesday, even if one week it's beef tacos and next week it's vegetarian fajitas. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you can really play within that. So the camper system is very popular. The third system is the batcher system. And this, um, this works for people who really have no time in the week, but they can find time on the weekend to prepare to get some stuff in the freezer, um, whether that's fully cooked meals or, you know, basics like a great pasta sauce or some um, pesto that's in the freezer that then you can use in the week. So the, the batcher is a fantastic system for, like I said, people who have like zero time, you come home and you need to eat right away. The fourth system is the one that I am. It is the semi. And this is a great system for people who are new to uh, meal planning or who have never really done it before and never really loved it. So what 
pencil in three meals for the week. Um, and then I make sure I have the groceries for those on hand, but I don't necessarily attach them to a certain day. So it's not like Tuesday, we're having spicy salmon cakes and Thursday we're having uh, beef stew. I just have the ingredients and I can have those any night of the week. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You see how you're, you're freeing yourself that. from yeah, the I'm restrictions. <laughs> and then on the other nights of the week, you know, maybe you lean on your back pocket dinners or you're eating leftovers or whatever it is. So that's a great one too. Um, the fifth system is the wing nut. Uh, we're all wing nuts sometimes, and there are happy wing nuts and unhappy wing nuts. <laughs> that's basically the, the wing nut is like, you, there's no plan. Like you're flying by the seat of the pants. The happy wing nut actually doesn't mind this. There's lots of options in the pantry. Maybe you don't have kids, so you don't mind running out to the store for some last minute ingredients. You don't mind eating at 10 o'clock at night. If you happen to have, you know, tried a new recipe that took forever, the unhappy wing nut, and honestly, most of us who have families, you cannot really be a wingnut. The unhappy wingnut is just exhausted um, and is just trying to kind of cobble together meals from what they have on hand. There's often a lot of aspirational ingredients in the pantry that you bought with good expectations and then you end up not using them. Um, so it's a system, you can make it work. Um, you can become a happy wingnut. I've got a lot of tips on how to do that. Um, but in general, unless you're like a young couple or a retired chef, I don't recommend the wingnut system. Mm. Okay. I, I'm loving as you're talking, I liked the themed, I've actually tried the themed week yeah. nights before and it, I never, I didn't stick with it for more than a week. So, yeah. <laughs> but the semi, that is kind of what I do already. Cause you're yeah. right. Then it does allow for me, I'm, I'm a huge, I got to follow my taste buds. And so I kind of go with like, Ooh, yeah, I'm feeling that one today. Yeah. <laughs> and you think not, by like, and these are not like, it's not like the personality test where you're like, Oh, this is who you are. And you can never change. Totally. You know, I'm a Sammy, but then I also, sometimes I like to have, you know, some favors from my future self in the freezer or just waiting for me. And um, mm -hmm. I also, we have theme nights. So we always have taco Tuesdays. So you can kind of mix it up. Um, the key is that you get to design your own framework because you're unique and nobody else is going to know what's going to work best for your family. But when you can find something that really does, man, oh man, you're off to the races and your life just gets so much easier. Yes. Okay. So kind of along with this, what are some essentials that you feel that we should keep in our pantry to make that weeknight cooking less, more, less stressful? So I'll tell you what mine are um, in terms of ingredients. And again, like I think this is a great starting place, but depending on who you are and what your family's tastes are, you might want to change it. Um, I have 10 staples I always have on hand. Uh, certainly dry pasta. Hey, pasta is the new black. We eat a lot of it. It's such a great back pocket dinner. I always have Parmesan or feta cheese, like a really nice strong cheese because mm -hmm. you can kind of mix that with almost anything and turn it into a delicious meal. Mm -hmm. Always canned beans, um, sometimes chickpeas, sometimes black beans. I love taking just a handful of black beans, um, some grated cheese, putting it in a tortilla with some salsa. That's like an instant quesadilla. So delicious. Mm. Um, frozen peas or frozen corn. I think those are the, the best of the best when it comes to frozen vegetables. And it means you've always got a veggie on hand. Mm -hmm. uh, garlic and onions, uh, gotta be fresh. Uh, two of my favorite ingredients. Nothing makes my mouth water more than smelling garlic and onions frying on the stove. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, one of my essentials is heavy cream or 35% like whipping cream. Um, just a couple of tablespoons of that can really make a dish go from ho-hum to absolutely unforgettable. Mm -hmm. uh, we eat a lot of cheese in this house. So cheddar is a big, big player, whether it's quesadillas or toasted cheeses or throwing it on top of a pizza or a casserole. We eat a lot of that. 
Um, I also love canned tomatoes or even tomato paste. You know, that's a, a sauce just waiting to be made. And my, my 10th essential, which isn't for everyone, but I really love it is dry white vermouth. Um, it's, uh, it's like a fortified uh, wine, right? But it's dry and it can really, if you pour that in the bottom of a roast chicken pan, like it makes it this instant sauce and it's absolutely delicious. So those are my 10, but uh, like I said, you know, maybe you, you need to put like bacon on there or, uh, you know, tuna fish or um, uh, I don't know, whatever it is that really becomes something that you can turn into a meal. Eggs are another great one, mm. um, but it's something that, you know, it, it can be a, a piece of your back pocket dinner strategy. So you, you know, we all have those days. Okay. The meal plan's gone out the window that you got, a, it was a snowstorm and you were late coming home and everybody's hungry and you've got a zoom call at seven 30. Um, so you have to make dinner right away. So if you've got pasta and uh, heavy cream and cheddar, you can make my three ingredient mac and cheese in 10 minutes and everybody's so happy. Mm. Um, you know, there's a ton of meals that you can make that way. So as as long as those essentials are going to work for you, I say, keep them on hand when you run out, replace them right away. Hmm. Can you give me some tips? I, I love the idea of, I mean, we all have those kind of dinners that we fall back on. Um, I have the problem of, you mentioned aspirational purchasing. <laughs> I do that sometimes. And what ends up happening is my pantry just gets too full, which mm -hmm. doesn't help with organization. So do you have any tips of how to, I mean, I think just being a little better at meal planning in general will be helpful for me, but, um, but do you, I mean, do you recommend making sure that you do have a couple nights a week where you are just kind of shopping from your pantry to kind of clear it out? Do you have any tips with that? Just literally the managing of the food, I guess that's kind of a problem area. Yeah. I think a lot of people in your fridge, making sure that the stuff doesn't get rotten. Do you have any good concrete tips for that? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. And I often think that in a busy working kitchen, like in a kitchen that's producing dinner most nights of the week, uh, let alone breakfasts and lunches, um, sometimes it starts to feel like waste is inevitable. Like there's just so you need to always have food on hand. And so sometimes stuff gets forgotten, whether it's a, you know, a bowl of homemade soup that uh, gets forgotten at the back of the fridge, or like you said, your, those aspirational ingredients. It's, for me, it's sauerkraut. I, I don't know why I just keep my own sauerkraut. I, <laughs> I never end up eating it. Um, so <laughs> I really, one of the toughest part in the course that I teach, one of the toughest things that we do is the week that we actually clear out the fridge, the pantry and the freezer. And the once you've done that it's a horrible hateful job you got to just you know, sort, of, sort of plug your nose and get it done and then I write a list on a piece of paper of what I've got in there mm. not like every single thing like two tablespoons of Dijon mustard but the the kind of bigger pieces so you know I know that in my pantry I have four cans of tuna two cans of black beans and xyz I know that in my freezer, I have four packs of sausages, uh, a half a pack of chicken breasts and a lasagna. And I actually put that on a piece of paper and tape it to the door of that device. I, I can't tell you, it sounds like the silliest kindergarten trick, but it makes such a huge difference. Now, every time I walk by my freezer, my eye can just sort of see, oh, I've got four packs of sausages. I'll just grab one out and then we'll have a you know, roasted sausage sheet pan supper tonight. What? It is incredibly effective. So um, you're saying... Yeah. I, I'm sorry I interrupted you there, but I just want to make sure I'm clear. You're saying you write it on a piece of paper and then you like erase? No, like I, yeah, like I'd use a pen. Uh -huh. Like I have a list and I just write out a list. I honestly, there must be technolo technology that can help me with this, but I find the analog, the piece of paper, which is taped to the outside of my freezer. And I just scratch something off with a pen when I've eaten it. 
and, uh, and then, you know, start a new piece of paper. If I ever do a, you know, a big shop and I end up stocking the freezer with something or whatever it is, a dry erase board would also be helpful, especially for something in the fridge. Like you could say, oh, don't forget, we've got leftover lentil soup. Someone's going to eat that for lunch. Um, so a dry erase little board that could attach to the front of your fridge would also be helpful. Whatever it is, it does seem to be helpful to see it every time you come face to face with that appliance. Hmm. Wow. That's just blowing my mind. Hmm. I'm going to have to consider this. I like it. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing that the only thing that's ever helped me with my fridge, although I think I'm going to have to start this because oh, that's really helpful. Um, I have started labeling inside my fridge, like actually saying like, this is where leftovers go with a cute chalk marker, you know, chalk stickers and yeah. here's where the milk goes and sweet things and savory things. And that's been like a huge game changer for me, but Ooh, I had never thought of like inventorying it on the outside. <laughs> I like that. Okay. That is very helpful, Claire. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. My kind of final question is, well, actually I have two. First, um, if you were to talk to somebody right now, you've given us so many really great tips on just kind of how to make dinner happen for our family and overcoming those roadblocks. But do you have any, if you were to say, you know what, this is where in all your courses, because you, you offer courses, which I'd love to hear more about. But um, if you were just to say, if you were to take away one thing from this conversation to all those mothers and fathers out there who are struggling, coming up with dinner every night, what is like the, you know what, start here. This is a good place to start. It's simple. It's accessible. What, what do you think is the, the, a really nice, easy place to start? Well, the number one thing I think is to just decide you're going to do it. Just decide you're going to make dinner. Mm -hmm. um, and then when, when you've made that choice, then lean into it. The meal that really um, opened up the world to us uh, when I was kind of figuring all this stuff out and trying to figure out how to make everybody happy and how to make a meal that didn't um, stress me out and that everybody would eat and that it wasn't expensive. and I didn't have to go all over the place to get the ingredients. The meal that really fixed everything for us was tacos. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I laugh because people think, oh gosh, tacos again. And you know what? We've been eating tacos once a week for probably four years. I keep coming up with ways to make them exciting for my husband and I. We always serve it deconstructed. So we've got the meat in one bowl. I usually do some kind of bean in another bowl. I usually make a fresh salsa. We have jarred salsa as well. Uh, we have fresh cilantro and lime and chilies. Sometimes mm -hmm. I do roasted uh, squash to put in there. Sometimes I've got, you know, leftover steak from the night before. Slice that up and put that on the buffet. But what that did for us was it created a meal that everybody could come to and be excited about that our son who just wanted the meat and the cheese and the salsa could fill up his little taco and enjoy. Whereas my husband who would put chilies on, he put chilies in a smoothie if he could, he <laughs> wants to load up on the chilies and I really love vegetables. And so I want to lean heavy on the vegetables. So any kind of deconstructed dinner like that, that can open up um, the possibility of sitting at a table and enjoying each other's company while enjoying delicious food is going to be the thing that just makes everything feel more accessible and more fun. Hmm. That is a really, really good tip. And tacos, 
tacos could be the magic key for people. The thing is that, and the other thing is we, we don't do ourselves any favors looking at Instagram and Pinterest, like lower mm-hmm. your expectations. It, mm-hmm. Honestly, a grilled cheese sandwich is a fantastic supper. Beans and wieners, outstanding. Mm-hmm. Love it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, a charcuterie board with some sliced ham and cheese and some baby carrots. Lower your expectations mm-hmm. and just get something on the table that everybody can enjoy. And then mm-hmm. you get to enjoy the other stuff too. It's so liberating because I mean, when you mentioned those statistics at the beginning of this episode about families who eat together and how it helps children in so many ways, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I doubt any of those research things had anything to do with what was being served at the table or how fancy the meal was. It's simply the act of sitting down together and enjoying food together. That's this, that's what success in this, if that's what we're measuring our success by, it doesn't mean that it has to be a hundred ingredients. That isn't the qualification. It can, if that's what you're wanting, but that isn't what we require for the connection that we're hoping for. Right. And exactly. And that is precisely why I wrote my new book, dinner uncomplicated. Like it's just, it's 90 dinner recipes. It's not, there's no breakfast. There's no baking. There's no like, you know, big party menus. These are just really uncomplicated dinners that will reduce the stress on the cook. And when, the, when the cook isn't stressed, guess what? No, everybody else is less stressed too. So, <laughs> so make your life easier. Um, and yeah, it really honestly does not have to be complicated. Life is complicated enough. Dinner doesn't. Have to be yes. Good. Okay. Well, that was going to be my next question was, can you tell me, I mean, I love, oh my gosh, I love your book so much, but can you just walk us through what is special about your book and how it's helpful And also tell us a little bit about your courses that you offer and how our listeners can find more about you because these are really, really helpful tools. Oh, yay. Thank you. I'm So uh, my book is, so Dinner Uncomplicated, my second book, it's like I said, it's all dinner um, because that's really what I needed, new ideas for dinner. And I divided the chapters by how much time they take to cook because that always seems to be the biggest limiting factor on any day, right? You think, okay, well, this is a crazy night. I've only got 15 minutes or here's a night when, you know, I can maybe put the radio on and, uh, and the kids are doing their homework. Maybe I can take a bit more time. Here's some stuff I could do on a Sunday to put in the freezer. So the first, first chapter is the 15 minute chapter. Um, truly 15 minutes. I set a stopwatch for myself. Uh, as soon as I walk into the kitchen, I try, I start that stopwatch. If I'm not eating 15 minutes later, the recipe gets cut. And that's with no advanced prep or anything. It's not like, oh, well, if you have spaghetti sauce already made, no, 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 this is like nothing, nothing done. So mm-hmm. the 15 minute chapter is where we're living right now for ourselves. The set it and forget it chapter. I really love the make it ahead chapters. Got the glazed ginger chicken meatballs, which I always make a double batch and put half of them in the freezer. They're so yummy. We love them. The Sunday stash where you're filling your freezer with um, building blocks for future recipes, Um, you know, like pesto, um, brothy beans, uh, beautiful whole grains or a a classic bolognese sauce that you can pop in the freezer. And then, oh, you are so lucky. It's like finding money in your pocket when you've got those things in the freezer. So that's the kind of the way that I structured um, the book. And um, because like I said, I wanted it to be as practical as possible, but in between the chapters of recipes um, and yeah, there's a picture with every recipe and everything is super uncomplicated, easy to shop for, not expensive. But in between the chapters um, are the kind of uh, mini masterclasses on a lot of the stuff we've been talking about today. So how to make meal planning work, um, how to get that family to the table. What are the essentials that you should have 
have in the kitchen and how to combat waste and, uh, you know, waste, you know, obviously home cooking is a great way to save money, but not if you're throwing it all out at the end of the week because it's gone funky in the bottom of the fridge. So it contains all those extra tips and, and tricks. Um, and so that's the book. Um, and then uh, thank you for asking about the course. The, the signature course that I have is called Fixing Dinner. And it's an eight module course that we only open uh, twice a year. So the next opening will be in January. And um, it's so fun. It's a fantastic community. And what we work through is actually fixing dinner. I love the, the play on words. There's the English literature coming out of me. You know, we're actually going to make dinner because we're going to fix dinner, but we're going to fix all that other stuff that prevents people from getting to the table. So we do the peaceful dinner table challenge. We do the family favorites. We do the full kitchen ectomy of getting everything out of your pantry. And then we go through recipe formulas and how to um, make sure that you're not just learning one recipe, you're learning a real formula that can you can apply to whatever you need. Um, and it's a fantastic community, lots of support. So we do that twice a year. Um, and then, gosh, what else do I do? I do live uh, cooking classes every Tuesday, every other Tuesday. Um, so you can join in and, and cook dinner with me at five o'clock Eastern time on a Tuesday. And oh gosh, I'm sure there's tons of other stuff that I do, but those are the main ones. <laughs> How do you join your cooking classes? Like where do we find you for all these things? place to find me right now is on Instagram. So um, at Tansy Claire, T-A-N-S-E-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E. Um, and I post everything there and all the links are going to be there in my bio. Um, I, I do have a website as well, clairetansy.com. It is in the middle of a small renovation, so not perfect right now, but it's still got lots of good stuff. Uh, but the most up to date is on Instagram. And I would love to see you there. And I'd love to see you in the classes. We're having so much fun tonight. We're making this spiced couscous pilaf with chicken. Oh, it is <clears throat> excuse me it is out of this world delicious and mm. so fast on the table in less than 15 minutes. do you actually like are are the people who are joining you through the internet do they all just get the ingredients of their own house and you guys make it together or do they just watch you make it and then they can make it another time your choice but when you register for the class you get the shopping list and the recipe so you can go out and get it done and get the stuff in so and the classes are pretty small so i can actually watch you if you need me to be like if you're like, how, how do I carve this chicken? I'm like, okay, let's see what you're doing. Um, so yeah, you can cook along or if you can't make it live, then you can have access to the recording and watch it whenever makes sense for you. That's so fun. I love it. We have so many tiers here then of support. We have, first of all, just the tips you've given. You have, you've given us a lot of great places to start just with the advice you've given. The second tier is your book, which wow, is so amazing to just give you good ideas. I love that it's split out into time because you're right. It all depends on the day and how much time you have. And then if you want more support, that course sounds like an excellent place. If you're really wanting some support to walk you through fixing dinner and then oh, cooking classes, I just love cooking classes. So I love that you <laughs> offer so many different levels of support and helping families really do this really important thing, which is eating together and spending time together and connecting. So thank you for your work. It's you know, really you beautiful. said something earlier that I've never thought of. You said that it sounds like this is a calling to me and you hit it exactly on the head. And I've never thought of it in this way that it's totally a calling to me. I believe in this so deeply. And I really believe that uh, I'm here to just somehow make it easier. Um, uh, because I really think that the benefits are so extraordinary that uh, we should all be having dinner together every night and making it the best part of our day. Hmm. Claire, well, thank you. Thank you for embracing that calling and helping the rest of us. It's really, really helpful. And I can see how it would serve a lot of families for the better. So we like to finish off all of our interviews with this question. So my question for you is, 
what is one habit that you have that's a game changer in your life and helps you find the magic every day? So in, during the lockdown, um, yeah, you know, I'm sure everybody with kids was really struggling, but um, one of the things I found was I found my son was getting really kind of punchy, you know, just like grabby on things. Like he didn't want to share anything. And I thought, Oh, you know what we're going to do every night? You know, we have that little cuddle uh, in his bed. I'm always you know, giving him a cuddle. And I, I say three things that I've been really grateful for in the day. Um, and then I ask him what his are. It's not any practice. It's I'm certainly not revolutionizing the world, but I did it to encourage him to find gratitude in his day. But of course, <laughs> it's a great joke of parenting. I'm finding so much value out of it myself. And I can't imagine finishing my day any other way. Mm, that is a beautiful practice, Claire. I think I like that you said it's not revolutionary. I found, <laughs> I found in my own life, almost all of my game-changing habits that truly changed my life and transformed for the better are not revolutionary. They've been around for a long time and they're so simple, but that's what makes them so beautiful. So I think that's a beautiful way to end the day and a gratitude practice is about as game changer as it gets. So thank you for sharing that. It's been so fun. Thank you. Okay, Claire. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'm just so I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about revamping and improving my own system with my own family. And I'm just really grateful for your work. So thanks for sharing all of your gifts and research and skills with our listeners. You guys, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for a wonderful conversation and for letting me share all of my beliefs. Okay, well, awesome. Well, let's find the magic. Everyone knows that the housing market is insane right now. So whether you're buying or selling a house, it's just absolutely crazy. Um, and speaking as someone who has both bought and sold a house in the last few years, I can definitely say that using a realtor from Utah House Doctors is a lifesaver. Um, so a couple years ago, we bought and sold a house here in Davis County. And um, with our realtor, we were able to definitely save a ton of money um, with both, both processes. Um, we were able to price it right and it was something where we needed to sell it quickly because we were moving out of state and it was so helpful to have someone here while we were moving out of state to kind of handle all of that situation. It was so great. And then we just bought a house a year ago and the market has only just skyrocketed uh, since we sold our last house. Um, and we were actually able to get a house in a prime spot in Davis County um, and we got it for less than what it really should have gone for on the market because we had a realtor who knew what he was doing and knew what to look for and it was just amazing. So um, we seriously, me and my husband recommend Utah House Doctors to anyone who is looking to buy or sell a house right now in this market. It is totally worth um, everything and it'll definitely end up saving you money and any sort of emotional or mental stress for sure. So definitely check them out if you're in the market. Their website is uthousedoctors.com. That's uthousedoctors.com. Our amazing sponsor, parasolco.com, has a special code for 20% off your first order with Find the Magic code on their website, parasolco.com. These diapers are ultra breathable, 
and they're the perfect diaper for crawlers and walkers. They are super comfy on the sides and also not bulgy because nobody likes a chunky bulgy diaper. So you guys got to check them out. Caitlin and I both use them and love them for various reasons. We love that they're a subscription. So head on over and try your first month at 20% off with code FINDTHEMAGIC at parasolco.com. Hey guys, it's Felicia. I just wanted to give a quick thank you to all of you who listen. I really feel inspired and close to our community. We got a new review this week and it says, Ladies, I cannot tell you how much I look forward to each episode you produce. I love the truth you all share and real examples of how to begin and attain conscious parenting. I always walk away feeling inspired and ready to take on any task. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and truths. And I just have to say, it means so much to us when you guys leave reviews, not to mention helps us. So if you feel so inclined to leave a review, just open Find the Magic podcast in your podcast app. Scroll to the bottom of the page, click on write a review and tap the stars to rate us and give us some feedback. We love to go here to find questions for episodes and to connect with all of you on what you're wanting us to research and distill and share. It just really means so much, and we make this podcast for you. So thank you all. Don't forget to hit send on your review. All right, let's find the magic. (coughs) (laughs) Brown cows. (laughs) 